0: As we begin this weekend's edition, I'd like to take a little bit of time at the beginning of this program to do something a little different and look at all the changes that occurred during the lifetime of Queen Elizabeth, who died this past Thursday. The world is certainly a vastly different place than it was 70 years ago. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Beerman. To the weekend edition of truth to ponder and i'm your host bob bierman i'll admit it first as i was thinking about what to do on this weekend's radio program i had decided i really wasn't going to spend any time talking about the life and times of queen elizabeth i figured there'd be plenty of tributes plenty of television specials plenty of everything uh, there'd be enough to, to take in. But as I slept the other night, I was thinking, look at all that has changed in the 70, almost 70 years of her reign as queen. I'll be 68 next month. So for my entire lifetime, she has been the queen. And she was born in a time... Matter of fact, from what I've read, they never anticipated her to be the queen. Uh, They figured that there was an uncle and her dad and and others in the line of succession. She was down number three, and most people thought she would never become the queen. Oh, but how life can be, be very funny. Her paternal grandfather was King George V. And her father was Prince Albert, who was the Duke of York. And he was second son of the king. And her mother, Elizabeth, who was the Duchess of York, was the youngest daughter of a Scottish aristocrat. Now, everybody assumed because of her being number three in line, she would probably never ascend to the throne. But as I said, life can be funny. Her uncle decided to abdicate the throne to marry a divorcee, which caused quite a scandal at the time in the 1930s. And in a nutshell, what happened, her uncle decided to abdicate the throne to marry a divorcee, which they say caused quite a stir at the time. And her father ascended to the throne. Now, many people had thought that her uncle was young enough to have more children, probably a son, who would then be in preference to be in the lineage. And when Elizabeth's father passed away in the early 1950s, at a very young age, she ascended the throne. Now look at the time in which she was born and this is what I want to take time not so much about her life and and what she did and accomplished but the things that have changed in all the years since she ascended the throne and even since the day she was born back in 1926 born in 1926 96 years ago she was born on the 21st of April and like I say, they never expected her to be the queen. Imagine what it was like being born in 1926. My father was born in, in 1925. He saw World War II. He saw the world in turmoil. He, he knew the people, the people on his street, my father, and of course the same in, in the life of Elizabeth, there were so many people in England that had fought in the First World War, the so-called war to end all wars. And after the war, life was pretty good around the world, for the most part, in most places, in the Western world in particular, in Europe, United States. The Roaring Twenties, everybody was doing well after World War I. And by the end of the decade, it all came to a crashing end. The stock market went down in the United States. We we had the Dust Bowl era. Farms just completely decimated, repossessed by the banks. People leaving their land and their farms behind, trying to find a better life maybe in California. The 1930s, when Elizabeth was a little girl, were extremely turbulent times. Germany had been decimated by the Treaty of Versailles. And a leader that talked about nationalism and rebuilding came along by the name of Adolf Hitler. But it was not so much what he promised, it was the way that he was able to to, shall we say, put fear into people that allowed him to come into power. A lot of people forget that Hitler was actually elected Chancellor of Germany. People at that time were in desperate times. The old saying, you know, a wheelbarrow full of money could barely buy you a loaf of bread. The money was that worthless. They couldn't print the money fast enough. People would burn money to keep warm. It was so worthless. The value of the paper was higher than the value of the money. And this is the world in which Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. It's the same world in which young Elizabeth was being raised. In 1939... Long before the United States entered, Britain was at war with Germany. Germany had invaded Poland. And the unbelievable, the unthinkable was about to occur. Another world war. And we're talking like 20 some odd years after the end of the other world war. That was supposed to end all wars. Young Elizabeth and her mother, many wanted during the Second World War, they wanted the Queen Mother and the daughter, Elizabeth, to move to Canada to be safe from the bombings of London. But Elizabeth's mom refused to leave the side of her husband, who would never leave England during that tumultuous time. And so, in spite of all the privilege of being royalty, Elizabeth had a taste of of the dangers that this world can present. And I'm sure like many of that generation we call today here in the United States the greatest generation, her worldview was no doubt different than most people's worldview of today would be that were born, let's say, at the beginning of her reign, or maybe in the 1960s or 70s or 1980s. When her father passed away, suddenly, at a very young age, in her 20s, Queen Elizabeth began her reign. She became the queen almost a year and a half or more before I was even born. So as I, I've said, the, the only monarch that I have known in of the throne has been Elizabeth for my lifetime, and I'll be 68 this year. And to think, she reigned nearly 70 years. The world has changed a lot since the time of her birth, through the Second World War, the post-war years, the unrest in Europe, the division of Germany, the rise of communism in the Soviet Union and China. England, the British Empire, started dissolving and contracting. The old saying, the sun never sets on the British Empire, was no longer really true. Many of the colonies and places in Africa became independent nations India, same thing. Many of the islands in the Caribbean, same thing. Though they still are considered a British protectorate, they are independent in their governance. Australia. The world has changed immensely during the time, during the time of Queen Elizabeth. The changes in morals, the changes of people, the changes in the way things are done... Is, is so different than the time in which she was born. And amazingly, the one thing, and I'm sure if you followed the news at all, it's kind of strange, but I guess in the circles of royalty and what is called a constitutional monarchy, they make plans in the inevitability of a, a sovereign's death. And since the beginning of her reign back in 1953, they have been preparing for the time that she would pass away. They have already been planning Operation London Bridge. And the code word London Bridge has fallen down means the Queen is dead. And now Prince Charles will ascend the throne. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of my thinking, my feelings, my opinions. They don't mean anything anyway in terms of how the monarchy is is set up and, and operates in England. A lot of people in the United States in particular are highly fascinated about a monarchy. I've got people that I know that are friends of mine that have always said, I prefer a monarchy in the United States. It would be a better kind of government, and I'm trying in my own mind to figure out how that could possibly be. And not to throw off on, on the United Kingdom or any of its former territories like Australia, New Zealand, you name it. Being a monarchy hasn't made the United Kingdom as great as it once was. These years since World War II in particular have destroyed the soul of that nation, what the United Kingdom once was. Now, in the days and weeks ahead and during this 10-day period of mourning and then the funeral and everything else that goes with it, and ultimately down the road, the coronation the coronation of the new king you'll be seeing a lot of pomp and circumstances and precision and music and just pageantry and royalty like you have never seen before in your life. Before I did this program, I was looking for some material. And I ran across a couple of videos of the coronation in 1953. And it was quite an affair. It was a sight to behold. You know, here in the United States, we we have an inauguration around the 20th of January on the steps of the Capitol. And then there's a, you know, kind of a party all day afterward. The coronation of a monarch is quite a sight to behold. It is vastly different. One of the gifts that I received many years ago when I was ordained into the ministry was a copy of the Book of Common Prayer. This is the 1662 edition, which is still used in in a number of churches around the world. And I'm very familiar with it and its American counterpart, the 1928 American edition of the Book of Common Prayer. But in this particular version that I I have, I'm looking at this that was this was given to me back about 25 years ago. And it's a little, you know, small pocket size. And toward the back of the book, there are special services that were used in the Church of England. And these go back to 1662. These are called the Ascension Services, and these are prayers for the monarchy prayers for their country and i think in spite of all the things that have been done wrong in the united kingdom great britain england no nation is perfect and they have made more than their share of mistakes and and, and they've had their bad stories like the united states has had it's still interesting that there was this foundation under the surface now the sinful nature of man is what betrayed this biblical foundation but you there are all these prayers for the for the queen and i'm looking at this one and it said o lord our god who upholdest and governest all things by the word of thy power receive our humble prayers for our sovereign lady elizabeth as on this day set over us by the grace and providence to be our queen this is a prayer for the anniversary also for the Queen Mother, Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, Prince of Wales, and and the entire royal family. And and so you look at this, there was a biblical foundation. And over the, the generations in England with the royal family, religion was, for many people, a central part of their life. Now, I know that there have been excesses. I know that there has been evil. Look at the Bible that says money is the root of all evil. Look at slavery. It was was really not godly men that were engaged in the slave trades. It wasn't godly men that did some of the despicable things to natives in the colonies. Yet the foundation was always there. But in these last 70 years, during the time of her reign, and this has nothing to do with her and her reign... The people's hearts in the United Kingdom, the people's hearts in Australia, the people's hearts in Canada and all over the Western world and all over the former British Empire have become hardened toward the things of God. They have become more narcissistic. They have thrown away the bounty that God has given them, the blessings that they've been receiving for For centuries, even though undeserved. In the 70 years that she has been on the throne before she passed away. The Church of England has walked away from scripture, from soundness. I mean, there are still a handful of people that I know that were in the Church of England. A couple still are that are people that I know that are still faithful believers. But for the most part, much of the, the church has gone apostate in England. There was a time, particularly during the Second World War, as London was being bombed and, and the nation was under attack, and, and we nobody knew if, if we would even win the war against Germany. The Allied forces, there was no guarantee In all honesty, 1942, 1943, let's go back first to 39. 39, 40, and 41 were some dark days in England. The prime minister at the time, Winston Churchill, had his doubts. Yet he tried to to rally the British people the entire British Empire, together against this common enemy, pleading with the United States to help them in their time of need. Even when the United States entered the war in Europe in 1942, there was still never the guarantee of success. Even at D-Day, that was a make-it-or-break-it in 1944... And these are all the things that are a part of the childhood of Elizabeth. Part of her formative years as a teenager. And my father shared many of those same experiences, though, here in the United States, of these turbulent times of war. During the Second World War, the British people under attack gathered in their churches to pray. To pray for God's blessing, God's deliverance, for victory over evil. And amazingly, at the end of the war, Britain, that had made it through and was on the winning side, fell away from the things of God at a pace unprecedented. The same happened across all of Europe. All of Europe became rapidly secular, mocking God, walking away from their faith, and the world changed in many ways, and I don't think for the better. You look at, you look at Great Britain today, Not a week goes by that a church or two are not closed forever. Nobody goes there anymore. And many of these churches become museums or they become people's residences who are wealthy. They buy these buildings and turn them into a home. Many a Methodist church in England is now a mosque because people have just walked away from the faith. And England is really, to me, the canary in, in the mine, so to speak. I, I'm going to say this, and, and I don't mean any offense to my audience, and I know that I have people in the United Kingdom that listen to this program each week. People in Australia, people in Canada, I know, you listen. But God's hand of blessing is gone. God's hand of blessing is not going to hang around where it's no longer wanted. Started in the the late 1940s. Younger people walked away first, then middle aged and then older and then people less and less. they, They became more happy to spend time in England in their gardens or in their homes or forgetting the things of God and the fact that they had won the war. Moral standards, things that would have been unacceptable, unbelievable in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s, by the 1960s and 70s, were being normalized. And places like England, places even like Scotland and Ireland, over time, the foundations of faith, those foundations have crumbled. They've been destroyed. I'm trying to remember these statistics, but it's, it's absolutely stunning. The number of people in the United Kingdom that do not go to church, the number of people in, in Australia that do not go to church, the number of people in Canada that do not go to church, It is absolutely frightening how tiny of a population go to any kind of a church. And many that do go to a church go now to churches that have abandoned the gospel. They preach another gospel. They preach heresy, to be quite blunt, and nonsense. We are at a crossroad. And if you look over Elizabeth Life, and it's not anything that she did at all, it's the society around her, the turbulence of the 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s. And as we got into the 2000s, how fast our morality in the Western world has declined at an accelerated rate. There is a term that pilots understand, people that skydive would understand. It's called per second per second, your speed of descent. And during the first seconds when you jump out of an airplane to, to skydive, you get a certain level of speed. And your speed keeps getting faster per second per second. And this is what has been happening to this world We are coming to a time, and I'm going to use the analogy of the skydiver. We are coming to a time where we're going to be hitting the critical speed and the critical moment. If we don't pull the ripcord, it'll be everlastingly too late. And I believe we are on the threshold of this speedy decline in the Western world. The United States has picked up rapidly behind. It's moving right along at a horribly rapid pace, heading toward its own internal destruction. My my greatest fear for people, not that I have a fear for myself. My greatest fear is we're going to get to that point. Another term that pilots will use, the point of no return. As a jet airliner begins to go down the runway, there is a place on that runway called the point of no return. If you go past that point, you will not be able to stop without running off the runway and having a collision. The point of no return. You either have to get airborne or you're going to have issues even on the ground. Or you may never clear. The obstruction's ahead. We are quickly at that point. We better either pull the ripcord. We are at that point of, we're just on the verge of that point of being at no return. And I see, I see God's justice coming. Now I want to conclude this, these observations with something that I think is rather important. Not a whole lot is known about Queen Elizabeth's personal beliefs, her politics. She was always very quiet about such matters. I have a friend of mine that I know primarily through social media who served as her chaplain for a number of years, her personal chaplain. He was a bishop in the Church of England. And what I've learned from him over the past couple of years, he no longer serves in that role. Apparently, and I, I know a lot of people say what she, she had some strange beliefs, but then again, we really don't know except from a handful of people that knew her well, like this bishop. And even several months before her passing, she had met with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, I don't necessarily agree with everything that that Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, stands for or thinks or believes or says or does. But he did make an interesting statement a few months ago. He said he came away thinking, now there is somebody that has no fear of death and has hope in the future and knows the rock on which she stands that gives her her strength. Now I can't speak for what she truly believed. I don't know. None of us really will. But I would hope and pray personally that her faith was secure. Remember she was born in a time when for many people matters of faith actually mattered. My sympathies for the people of the United Kingdom on their loss. And in spite of all the things that have gone wrong, in spite of how secular the nation has become, and the remnants of the former British Empire have fallen into, it doesn't mean we don't stop praying. Now, in just a moment here, I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I want to change directions entirely into a more positive realm. And I hope that you'll stick around. I hope that this, what I shared, means something to you. If you believe in the radio ministry of Truth to Ponder... By the way, we have a new mailing address, and don't worry if you're still using the old one. It'll still be good until almost the end of October, so don't worry about if you used it recently or continue to use it even into next week if it's what you wrote down. We now have a post office box in the area in which we live. It makes it a lot safer for us to have mail, and the new address... Is very simple. Make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. That's Ancient Word Radio. And the mailing address now is P.O. Box 510. 510. 510 P.O. Box 510. The city is Chilhowie. Chilhowie, Virginia. Now, Chilhowie is spelled C H I L H O W I E. Chilhowie, Virginia. And the zip code in Shilhowee, Virginia, is 24319. That's 24319. And we appreciate all the help and prayers that you give us to keep this radio program on the air. Like I said, when I get back, we're going to change direction a little bit. And, And I've got some things that I want to share from my heart. On things that are occurring in the background, not just with the radio program, but, but in my life in general. And in the work of our Lord on this earth that I think you really need to hear about. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The
1: Twirling Witches coming up. Shalom Aleichem, this is the Nice Jewish Boy, Jonathan Kahn. your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish in Jesus, now get your pen out as fast as you can, so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. I was in Honduras with a mission team, leading an event in the city park. There were thousands and thousands of people. At the end, we had a time of anointing and prayer. And one woman in our ministry was standing in the front. A woman came up to a young woman. She's crying, and Annette prays for her, and and just prays. And then and then the the woman, the, the young woman, says, "Let me get it, my 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 friend." It would turn out to be your sister. Brought her up too. The moment. Uh, Nanette, our, our team member touches her. She starts twirling around in a frenzy, wildly. And then the first woman goes wildly, like a, like in a tornado, twirling and twirling around and, and, and just out of control. And, and, and finally they both fall on the ground. It's like mowing on the ground. They just stay face down on the, on the, on the ground. No life in them for a long time until they finally kind of wake up. And it's like the life was just taken out of them. And Nanette's saying, Oh, you know, I guess it's emotionalism. I don't know. These Christians sometimes act, you know, it turned out only later we found out what happened. It turned out the head witch of the region came to the event to, to, to oppose it. And she brought her two daughters who were also witches. And those two women who were spinning around were witches. The moment our team member touched them and then prayed, it was like the power of God came upon them and just, it just, it was like an exorcism. Amazing. You see, the point is there are dangers out there. The enemy is more powerful than you are. But God is far more powerful than the enemy. So don't fight in your strength. Fight in God. God knows knows your battle. You take care of his will, you, he'll take care of your business. You take care of his business, he'll take care of your needs. Bless and all the powers of hell, like twirling witches, will fall to the ground before you to the glory of the Lord, who is stronger than anything in the world. Now, how do you receive special blessings? The incredible <laughs> Mystery of the Temple Doors on CD. And Sapphire's your super spiritual supplement. A free gift subscription, all free. Easy. Just remember, Jesus is really real Hebrew name. That's how you get it. And you just dial it. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed. But call now. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in the Great Commission to bring salvation back to the Jewish people and reach millions of unreached peoples around the world on five continents. It's amazing. Through Shore Radio, you can blanket the planet with salvation. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's 1-800-Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or well, write me direct. It's right to the Nice Jewish Boy Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's a Nice Jewish Boy Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Khan saying, Greater is he in you than he is in the world. Shalom Aleichem. Peace with you, my friend. in Messiah, Hassar Shalom, the Prince of Shalom.
0: This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman And welcome back to part two of the weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. I'm your host, Bob Beerman. Now I spent a little bit more time than I planned on at the beginning of this program kind of chronicling the 70-year reign of Queen Elizabeth. Not so much the things that she did, but what happened in the world during that time and also those 20-some-odd years before she ascended to the throne. How much has changed in our world in less than a century and how amazing, how absolutely amazing those changes actually have become. A lot is going on in the background. I mentioned that as we went to the break. And I was thinking just the other day, you know, where I'm at these days, what I'm up to, what I thought I'd be doing at this point in my life. And I just want to share for a moment from the heart. Now, I'll keep this part real brief. Going back in my much younger years, I mean, literally my childhood, I had many a, a thought about going into ministry, literally going into the pastoral ministry. I knew my grandparents thought that'd be a wonderful idea. They encouraged it. My parents didn't object to it. By the time I was graduating high school, things had changed in the dynamics of family and life and and just a lot of things that, that caused me to consider, at least for a season, a different direction. I became very fascinated by getting into radio, Something I wanted to do. I loved radio. And I thought that I'd be one of those guys that started out at a small station, get to a medium station, then a big station, then a bigger station. And before you know it, you'll become one of those legendary top 40 disc jockeys you'd hear on big powerhouse radio stations out of New York City or Chicago, Los Angeles, Dallas, just to name a few cities. Philadelphia. But it was never meant to be. While it's true, I did start my career out as a radio announcer and disc jockey, and I loved it. I really did. It was a lot of fun. I'll have to admit, when you are finishing high school and you already have a paying job at a top 40 radio station, that's not a bad deal. And I really thought this would be something that I could do and enjoy as my life's career. And so the ideas of ministry and with some of the things that were just a little bit unsettled in family at the time, it made sense for me to pursue that path, and I did. After about, oh, I don't know, seven eight years of being on the air, and after having tech school behind me, some college behind me, and everything else, the luster of being a radio announcer, being a disc jockey, being whatever just disappeared i suddenly really didn't want to be on the radio anymore i liked being around the industry but the idea of the schedule uh, you never get a day off all these issues and and it's not a great family life you put in a lot of hours and you're always on pins and needles when it comes time for the rating book i mean if your ratings aren't good enough they may fire you and hire somebody else And that's not a stable life. I knew too many announcers that had worked at too many radio stations and were burnt out. Uh, Some of you may have remembered a song uh, by Harry Chapin called I Am the Morning DJ at W.O.L.D. And if you ever listen to that song, I'm not going to play it. It really it's a sad tale, but unfortunately, very true for many in the industry. I had always had a knack and a desire and the training and the background and the education for the engineering side, so I made the transition over a couple-year period. Ended up as a major market engineer, then building equipment for a manufacturer, designing equipment, then working for a Bible college. Funny how the Lord has a plan laid out you don't even know about. And from the Bible college, later in life, In my 40s, I was ordained to the ministry. That was a major change in my life at the time. And when it all started, I didn't think I'd be a church pastor, but I became one. And I watched a church grow. I planted several churches. Some are still around. Some, sadly, are not. They weren't cared for years later. And a few years ago, I mean, I've been through a lot, and I've told my story. I'm not going to go into some of the tragedies that I faced in the early part of the 2000s. Spent 10 years not really doing much of ministry and just kind of getting along and rebuilding my life. And I thought at one point, you know, I did my share of churches. I... I was elevated to a position within my own church body that I assumed and handled for a while. And and I I thought, maybe I'll just retire when I turn about, you know, 65, 66. I started retiring away from broadcast at 62, went part-time. And I thought that I would spend the next five years or so kind of winding down ministry work with a mission. And I thought I'd retire, and I can remember a good friend of mine saying, Bob, if you're in the ministry, you never retire. You're not going to do that. And I kind of knew he was right, but I thought I'd try. Well, the world became a very different place in 2020, as you know. I had plans in 2020 for my last hurrah in helping a church body grow and planning a few churches all of it as you know got put on hold and even as i began this radio program in 2020 and in 2021 i never anticipated really getting back into very active ministry except through the radio program and helping where i could if i was ever needed but something has transpired i'm going to i got to tell you this the small church body in which i'm a leader way back in 2019 i started having talks with another church body about literally merging ourselves within their group they were a little larger than we were to facilitate my retirement i really believed i would do that and and spend the last couple of years before i would officially retire uh, from that position helping to plan another church or two well all of those plans got thrown to the wayside as you know the pandemic those meetings never occurred in late 2020 about the time we had started this radio program I made a visit again to kind of resurrect that that thought and that idea and I spent a little bit of time with those people and had a you know, great relationship. And I thought, you know, in the next couple of years, we're just going to do this gradual thing and I can move on. But the unexpected happened. And that's how God tends to work in our lives and in the things that we do. The unexpected happens. And it's been happening all of this calendar year of 2022 in the background. Now, it's not so much why we moved to Virginia, though I can see it's a part of it now. We made that move just because as we get older and that time is, you know, the realization is that it'd be nice to be closer to family where we're not hours away. The home in Georgia is nice, but I have nobody of friends or family in less than a couple of hours at that location. And so this just made sense for this point in our life. We still have a place in Florida we'll still be using for a while, I'm sure. But starting this year, I had phone calls from people that I know that are in similar and related church bodies. And for whatever reason, they, they, how do I put it? They felt a stirring inside that they need to be doing something they're not able to do. And they reached out to me as a friend. And, and what has occurred over the past year and a half especially this year, are several clergy from around the United States have reached out to me to become a part of the church body that I represent. And they're all on the verge of planting churches. All of them. When I finished recording the Thursday radio program, I spent three and a half hours on a, on a call We did a video chat with a clergyman on the West Coast, a man that I have respected and admired. I mean, this guy is a scholar's scholar. I mean, this guy has worked so hard on his doctorates. He's a theologian's theologian and a true believer. And yet, where he is at, a respectable church body, he is so underutilized. And I understand what he's up against he also like the others that have reached out to me are recognizing how do we make the church relevant without compromising it in the times in which we live there are many churches out there that if you go back to the time when queen elizabeth took the throne back in the 1950s churches grew by parents having children that's how they grew But then the baby boomers, my generation, stopped, for the most part, taking their children to church. They stopped going. We've been given so much by the greatest generation that had so little and struggled so hard and faced crisis after crisis in childhood and their early adult years. And our parents didn't want us to suffer like they did. And what did many baby boomers do with it? They threw it away, got into idiotic politics, strangeness worldliness, actually some pure evil in many cases. The early baby boomers were the first hippies. And they're the generation and my generation that are destroying many nations with our arrogance and our hostility to an almighty God. As I said as we began this segment, we have come to a point of no return. We have come to the point we need to pull the ripcord before we smash to the ground. So suddenly, the idea of me just retiring into the sunset and handing this church body over to some other group has disappeared. For now, it's off the table. Not that I ever had any grandiose idea of building a fife to me. That's the last thing I ever wanted. But God in his sovereignty, and his grace, had other plans. I've got a, a young pastor. He came out of a more contemporary church in Texas. He now is in Georgia. He and his wife used their own finances to move there. He is working under the authority of one of my clergy that's a little bit older, And they are getting ready to plan a mission that is relevant for today, yet still maintains the integrity of God's word, even some of the beauty of traditional worship, but still having a bit of a contemporary or at least a colloquial feel where you're not living in the 16th century. It is ancient first century, but it fits today. The music is Christ-centered not man-centered. And hopefully as people come to this church and get to know their Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and lord, they will aspire to learn more and to have their the level of their worship raised where it's not just emotion. It is what we give God. That's the world in which I am now entering. It is the time in which I live. I'm trying to work on a few websites for some of these missions. And the new umbrella organization that will be a non-geographical jurisdiction to oversee these churches that are being planted. You know, a lot of times you plant a church, and I don't care if you're Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, don't doesn't matter, Assembly of God. And, you know, the first thing you do is you look for people that are of your faith background to come fill your church. My goal is to build churches for people that have, number one, never been to a church, do not belong to a church, or for some reason for a long time have not been a part of a church. These are the people that I'm trying to bring into the fullness of the faith. It's easy to move people laterally church to church. And that's not necessarily a good thing. I know what happens in many contemporary churches. Oh, they got a better praise band. Let's go there. They got a better light show. Oh, the guy's got a better message. Instead of staying where God has called you to be, it becomes all about me, not about him. And so I want you to be in prayer for me and with me I can remember planning a church in the Upstate of South Carolina way back in 2006. And it flourished for a short season. And then I was called away to another location. And and the vision I had at that time was a church for the unchurched and that's exactly what it was. Everybody that was there had not been involved in a church either in their lifetime or in a long time. And we were growing. We were growing. And then a clergyman from my own church body came in who was a curmudgeon. That's all I can tell you. He was a curmudgeon. It's a, you're going to do it my way. You, you, you're going to be this. You're going to use this old hymnal. I know you don't know any of this stuff, but we're going to force you to conform. And the love of Christ was not even felt in that place anymore. They, they didn't. They felt like they were being chastised instead of being raised in the faith. And one by one, they left, and my heart, when I heard about it later, was broken. How could that be allowed to happen? And this is what has reinvigorated my ministry today, are those kind of horrible politics of the church. I I just abhor them. And I never expected in my ministry I'd ever be in a position of leadership. I'm the last guy that you have thought would be raised to where I'm at. But because I've seen the underbelly, because I've seen where Satan fights, because I've seen the egos and the troubles and the problems and the heartbreaks, because I've seen clergy that have been burnt out. You know, most people that enter the ministry in their 20s are through with it by the time they're in their 40s. They're done. They get out of it. They can't raise their family in it anymore. Their blood pressure is too high. Their health is failing in many cases. Their life is misery, living under that microscope. The church is not about me. It's not about you. Not about how I feel or what I think. What I desire. It is what God wants for you and what God wants for me and what God wants for his people. The church is... The technical term is the ecclesia, those that are called out. We are the living body of Christ on this earth. And the sooner we come to the realization that we're not in charge, our vote doesn't count, what God wants is sovereign, and we come to worship him, not to get something out of it to feel good. I've met too many people, and I've said this before in the program, they go to church to feel good about themselves. Well, that's the wrong reason to go to church. You go to church to learn, to give homage and honor, praise to your, your, your God, your Lord who saved you, redeemed you from your sin, and is offering you full salvation, free. Don't even have to earn it. That's the church that I want to build. That's the church in which I want to be a part. And that's the church that I'm inviting you to join me in creating.
2: The church is one foundation.
0: has flown by today for this weekend edition and if you stayed with me for the entire program I thank you from the bottom of my heart I've shared with you this world and it's changes in in my lifetime and in your lifetime and what God has laid upon my heart and and trying to put it all together is not easy if you want to find out more about what I am thinking about and trying to establish why not contact me via my personal email real easy bob at truth the number two ponder.com bob at truth the number two I've said it before I'm not going to be collecting all these email addresses and then I start in <laughs> just bothering you with tons of spam mail I don't do that but if you want to know what kind of church body I'm trying to create and the vision that God has laid upon my heart, just write me and we'll talk about it. If you believe in this radio ministry and can help us stay on shortwave radio, your funds and your gifts would be highly appreciated. New mailing address, the old one still works. It'll still be valid till middle of October or so. But the new address is real easy. Make the check payable to Ancient Word Radio. Ancient Word Radio. Mailing address is P.O. Box 510. 510-510. The city is Chilhowie. Chilhowie spelled C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E. Chilhowie, Virginia. And the zip code is 24319. That's 24319. And we'll be back with you again next week. May God bless. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to
2: Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.